Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Welcome to Locked On Bucks, brought to you by BrewHoop.com. As always, I'm Eric Name, and Frank Madden is with me once again. Just a reminder, today's Locked On Bucks is brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets and the promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. That's L-O-Bucks gets you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. Earlier this week, we talked about Greg Monroe and how much playing time he would get this upcoming season. We talked about Chris Middleton and how many threes he would shoot per game. And we talked about Giannis and Jabari and how many dunks they would have on the season. And I think this second episode, Frank, we should start off with another topic about Giannis. And it's one that I think is particularly interesting. And I think it's one that a lot of people have wanted to talk about this offseason. Giannis's assists next season. And this one is an interesting one uh, just because it depends a lot on kind of his role and kind of how this works. Uh, just for a, a frame of reference, let's say, uh, Frank and I were talking about it before we got on the air and we we're trying to figure out how many times has that actually been done by a buck? Uh, trying to find what's a good number for this one, how many assists for Giannis. And we found a number that I think I like. It's seven. And we're, we're trying to pick an over-under seven uh, assists for Giannis per game next season. And that's been done 11 times in Bucks history. And really, I'm going to say nine times because one is Ramon Sessions. He did it in 17 games in 2007-2008, so I'm going to disqualify that. Gary Payton did it post-trade 2002-2003 in 28 games, so I'm disqualifying those two. So let's say nine times, three times by Oscar Robertson, two times by Paul Pressey, two times by Sam Cassell, once by Eric Murdoch and once by Terrell Brandon. So that, and this is and this is probably the only time we're going to mention Terrell Brandon and Eric Murdoch on this podcast. So shout out to those yeah. illustrious, very illustrious and uh, much love, not really names in in Bucks history. <laughs> and also for reference, post All Star break, Giannis averaged seven point two assists per game. Uh, so 7.2 post-All-Star break for Giannis. So I put the over-under at 7 for a full season. Frank, what say you? I'll take the under on this one. And again, I'll, I'll kind of give some context. That that was sort of the historical context. We haven't had a buck basically you know, do that over a full season in quite a long time. Last year, there were seven NBA players that average over seven assists per game mentioned obviously Giannis was able to do it over a 28 game span so that's you know a real sample size and certainly the only sample size we have of him being the primary ball handler um, and also I mean he did that without obviously having a lot of shooters around right so I think having Mirza Toledovic on the roster as sort of a knockdown shooter um, anytime he's going to be on the court with Giannis I think that certainly helps you know Giannis's chance uh, at assists uh, and obviously some of the kind of general you know, younger guys around the Bucks being uh, on the court with Giannis will help. You know, fewer minutes with 
Johnny O'Brien, Rashad Vaughn, Damien Inglis, all the other luminaries that we saw playing a lot of minutes after the All-Star break <laughs> last year should presumably help Giannis's assist rate further. Um, but it's hard getting seven assists per game. And obviously, I think also I mean, the way that Giannis, you know, how, how much Giannis handled the ball last year was, uh, was obviously um, you know, a question like, is he going to be that extreme in terms of how much he's handling it where he was pretty much handling it all the time? I mean, maybe when Tyler Ennis was on the court, uh, the ball was out of his hands a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, you look at some of the other guys who were under seven assists per game. I mean, LeBron was at 6.8 assists a game. He's obviously averaged over seven at times in his career. So it's not to say that, you know, this is like the ceiling of LeBron or something like that. But it's hard getting seven assists per game. And I, I think, you know, part of me is maybe just sort of subtly trying to manage that expectations here. Um, but I think obviously a lot of it comes down to uh, role. And if he's holding, you know, if again, if Giannis is going to be primarily dominating the ball all season long, then I think he's going to have a great chance to get seven or more. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, Westbrook was at over 10 last year, right? You know, Rondo was at 11.7 assists per game last year. So there's a huge range you can get in, I think, in which you're, you're not necessarily even like adding a lot of value as a basketball player. You know, Rajon Rondo getting 11.6 or 11.7 assists per game last year uh, was probably adding a lot less value as a playmaker than LeBron at 6.8 or even Steph Curry at 6.7. So, I don't think we want to put, you know, too fine of a point and make assists, you know, be the primary proxy for value or something as a playmaker. Um, and for that reason, also, I think it's fine for, you know, Giannis to be under seven assists per game. So I think it's more likely he's probably under. Um, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he was in the fives or something like that. But I think we also need to accept that, look, getting five and a half, six even close to seven assists per game when you're a six eleven dude and you can also rebound and score and block shots. I mean, you're adding a ton of value, right? And Draymond averaging 7.4 assists per game last year. I mean, he was doing that on the number one offense in the league by far. Um, that's not easy. So I'll probably take the under, but I'm very open to arguments for for why he could do uh, why he could prove me wrong. Oh, man, you you really wet blanketed us there. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm going for it. Whatever. I'm going with the over. He's going to get it, even with me knowing that just seven guys in the entire league had over seven assists last season. That's Rondo, Westbrook, John Wall, Chris Paul, Ricky Rubio, James Harden, and Draymond Green. Jared Jack doesn't count because he's only in 32 games. But Jared Jack, well, um, that's a different aside. Uh, it It's tough. It, it really is. You're right. It's tough to – and I think that's a good point to make for any counting stat and any filter you put in about – is a guy going to go over under this and accumulating counting stats, counting stats in that may is just difficult period, but I'm going to take it. I think his usage is going to go up. I'm a big believer in that. They really are just going to hand him the keys at point guard and kind of just let him learn how to do all these, just learn how to be a better playmaker. And I, I do think the shooting around him helps quite a bit. Um, if he can get some more minutes with, Mirza, if he can get some more minutes with Delhi rather than, like you mentioned, J.O.B. and Rashad Vaughn, that's got to be undeniably a good thing for him. And you're, you would hope to see less, less poorly spaced lineups that he would play with and more that can 
kind of space the floor. And again, we talked about it last week. If Jabari starts hitting corner threes with some regularity, which there was a number after the all-star break that Giannis assisted to him, that he would have a pick and roll on the left side, skip the ball over to the right corner, and Jabari would have a three. Sometimes it went in post-all-star break and sometimes it didn't, but those are passes that are upper-level upper passes, upper-level playmaking, and Giannis was able to make those. And I think you're going to continue to see him take steps forward as a point guard. He's just going to get a ton of reps. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and maybe that's a gut feeling I have about this Bucks team that I shouldn't. Maybe he's not going to be so ball-dominant, but I, I just can't shake the feeling that the team is going to be his this year. He's going to be handed the keys as the point guard and not just the playmaker that sometimes plays on the wing. Like he's going to be bringing the ball up. I just, I think they believe in him to that level that he's just going to have the ball at all times. And I will take the over for seven assists. And I think another key factor that will help is that I think Giannis likes getting assists. <laughs> I think he was, uh, there, there was some assist hunting nights. There was, there was some assist hunting. And, and I think the, uh, search for triple doubles, I think, was something that we're going to see. I think that, uh, you know, Giannis likes to get triple doubles. I think the team likes him to get triple doubles, certainly from a marketing standpoint. Uh, <laughs> that's a positive thing. And uh, so I think, you know, again, to the extent that, you know, and, and guys, sometimes guys do that, right? Like I think, you know, Westbrook is a guy who averages 10 assists per game kind of purely by force of will. Um and just by being so dangerous with the ball, not because he's necessarily the the most advanced playmaker. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Giannis does pile up more than seven assists per game, just because he kind of just sort of sets his mind to it. But um, we'll certainly be interesting to watch. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm wrong on that one. All right, we got a tough one here. This one we debated trying to figure out how to do this one. Um, it's a team based statistic. It's defensive rating and. At NBA.com and at Basketball Reference, the Bucks ended in different places uh, just because of the way that they calculate their stats, I believe. Is that right, Frank, that they calculate it differently or something yeah, like it, that? Yeah, it's, it's mainly that they have different pace formulas. So yeah. um, Basketball Reference has a more complicated pace formula than uh, NBA.com and ESPN. I think ESPN and NBA.com you'll find are pretty pretty similar in terms of their uh, uh, any of their pace-based stats, and it's all just driven by how they calculate pace. But yeah. So defensive rating, I believe one of them had them at 24, the other one had them at 22. Is that what we thought, or is it 23, yep. 24? Well, somewhere in that range. Right. And and I guess what we were trying to figure out is, are they going to be below average or above average? And that means the numbers at 15. And we have to figure out which way to go there. Again, for context, again, hopefully you're kind of following along with us and hopefully you'll give us some thoughts in the comments section to kind of see where everyone else is feeling here. But to go from where they were to where we're asking them to be, I believe it's two points less per 100 possessions or however you want to calculate defensive rating. Is that right? Yeah, so last year they were at 105.7 points per 100 allowed and if you for instance want to say okay what does it take to be average um the 15th ranked team was the bulls they allowed 103.9 so you know looking at that way and obviously sometimes sort of the league gets more or less offensive oriented from year to year but you'd have to improve by about 1.8 points per 100 uh in order to get to like average and obviously you could say okay well then you know to get top 10 there's another kind of fair big jump to go from 15th to 9th 
that's where Charlotte was, that's another 2.1 points for 100. So, um, you know, to get top 10 is is not easy, at least when you're kind of looking at it from the perspective of where they were last year and where the, the league was um, overall. But by the same token, we also know that the Bucks, with obviously some roster differences, uh, were vastly better in 14-15. They were at 99.3 using ESPN's uh, pace stats. So 99.3. So, um, you know, six, six and a half points basically per 100 better than they were last year. So uh, this number can obviously move a lot from year to year. All right, Frank, I'm going to toss it to you and ask you the Bucks final ranking in defensive rating at the end of the season. Is it over or under 15? <sighs> this is another one of those things where you're asking me, because this is, this is really difficult. I think we should probably talk about this number all the time because I think so much of the Bucks' success this season is riding on how much they can improve this. Yeah. And there's obviously a lot of different ways they can do it, right? They've been horrible on the defensive boards in the last few seasons. They've obviously been better at forcing turnovers. They dropped off a little bit last year. They were great in the year they were good on defense. Um, they dropped off in terms of uh, especially their two-point field goal percentage allowed. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can get better at this. The most obvious one is you just get better at forcing misses, <laughs> which is easier said than done. Um, I, I'll say, I'll guess, I'll, I'll try to maybe be less optimistic and, and maybe I'm clearing the way for you to give me the case for why they'll be better. Um, I, maybe I feel too burned last year when I thought they would still be a top 10 defense. So I will say they'll be maybe slightly below average this season, better, but maybe slightly below average this season. Uh, and I think a lot of that just kind of comes from the fact that uh, at this point, Jabari and Greg Monroe are still on the roster. They haven't anybody, added anybody who's a complete game changer defensively. Um, probably the closest would be swapping Delhi, who's a solid defender, for Jared Bayless, who was secretly a really bad one. Um, but overall, I'm I'm not sure they're sort of that you know game changing. Okay, this is what's going to make the Bucks go from you know very very below average to uh, you know, above average and hopefully really good. So I'll, that that would be my argument for why they'll still be a, maybe an average to slightly below average team. But I don't know. Do you want to take the other side of that bet? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I do not. Um, like you said, you look at where they're at. I've asked the question many times, is Miles Plumley a good defender? And a lot of the times it'll be, well, their numbers get better with him and he does some things and he does those volleyball blocks and he jumps around a lot and he looks cooler. He does he does look way cooler and I'm just not sure again, maybe it stabilizes over a full season and he is a good defender, but I'm not sure that he is. So you are still going to play John Henson whatever backup minutes he's going to get because he's not going to start. So that doesn't really change. And, again, his kind of – I think his defensive rating has kind of jumped all over the place with him on the floor. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Most of the time it's good, but I don't know. John Henson's John Henson. So you you didn't really improve down with your bigs, and Jabari Parker's still bad defensively. And – I mean, you can hope that he goes from awful like he was last season to bad this year, and you you figure out how to scheme for him a little bit more, and you figure out how you can hide him a little bit more. Um, but ultimately, I don't know if it really gets that much better there. And then the rest of the way, it's pretty similar. Again, like you said, 
Deli in for Bayless, and Bayless is bad. Deli is good defensively. Mirza's going to be better than J-O-B, I guess it'd be kind of the minutes he's di- like displacing there. I'm not 100% sure who the, your one-for-one one swap would be there. So there's reasons to think they'll be better. They got some more veterans. They got some uh, – everyone that's still here has been in the system for another year. And you would think maybe some tweaks get made defensively. Maybe there's not as much help given on the backside. Maybe there's a little bit more icing going on where you keep those pick and rolls to the sideline and don't give up so much dribble penetration. So maybe there's some small adjustments to be made, but there's not a a real defensive game changer, I don't think, on this roster. Because most of the time, those are bigs. And no matter how good Delhi is, I, I just think that your biggest changes and the biggest kind of influencers of good defense are, are bigs. And it's not really all that much different uh, this season from last season. So I think they're going to get better, but I don't know if they're going to get above 15. And uh, that's, again, it's 22 and 24 and like two points or so per 100 possessions. And I just don't know if they have that in them, maybe a point, which would be helpful. And if they're, very good offensively then that's fine um and you can win some games and probably make it to the playoffs but i I just don't see a a massive improvement and when when you look at defenses they are more massive and incremental and you can really see big changes from 15 to 10 to 10 to 5 5 to 1 you can see some major i guess stages levels whatever you want to call it there there are some major levels there when it comes to defense and I I just don't know if they have any sort of major improvement in them yeah I think you're gonna need I mean I think it's kind of what starts things is on the one hand you know you look at the the absolute numbers and and the difference going from being where they were last season to certainly two years ago where they were and it seems like a big number obviously um but then you know like we said if it's only two points per 100 I mean again you don't want to fall into the trap of saying like oh well that's easy all you have to do is you know stop one basket from going in. <laughs> um, but, you know, on the margins, there there are obviously a lot of different ways to improve yourself defensively. And, you know, two years ago, they averaged around two turnovers more per uh, per game yeah. than they did uh, last year. Um, they averaged uh, or they allowed uh, around two and a half percent worse uh, shooting by the opponent on, on two pointers, uh, only about one percent better uh on threes um and obviously there was a a more more threes being shot so um so i think they're kind of different ways to do it i think you know getting better at at forcing misses especially inside the arc maybe you say you're the scheme you have is always gonna maybe have some challenges against the three-point line but um if you can shore up at least that interior defense a little bit and and stop the bleeding a little bit there and then force you know one extra turnover per game um then I think you can make a, a good case of why you know it's it's not that difficult to get to at least middle of the pack. But then again, every other team is is that's bad is thinking the same thing. So uh, it's probably easier said than done. So, but I think that's an interesting thing. You know, we maybe we should have led with that stat because uh, I think if you want to see a team get to to forty wins or forty one wins or whatever it might be, I think you probably need to get to to right around there or. Uh, you know, certainly if you're going to be an average defense and you probably need to be, you know, logic would say you need to be around an average offense probably as well if you want to, you know, start being a pretty solid team. But uh, we'll certainly be interesting to watch. All right. We got one last one and it's newsy, let's say. Um, There's obviously not much news. Um, 
surrounding the Bucks in, in this part of the summer, or I guess early fall, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the Bucks did add Orlando Johnson to what is it? Technically, the training camp roster. Um, yeah, signed a, a non guaranteed contract, right? So, um, so they can basically cut him without without paying him anything. So they have Orlando Johnson. They also added Xavier Henry. That was a little bit earlier. So two guys, non-guaranteed rosters, or non-guaranteed contracts. The Bucks already have 15 guys with guaranteed contracts. Over under one of Orlando Johnson or Xavier Henry on the roster when the season starts. You probably should have said like a half or something like that, technically. Uh, but it doesn't matter. I would say zero, regardless of, of uh, what positive number you would set. I didn't think the those. number mattered much. Yeah. Uh, and I think historically, um, our friend Jordan Tresky from Behind the Buck Pass asked me the other day when I tweeted something about it. He was like, you know, do you recall the last time they actually kept a guy like that? And I didn't. I just started kind of combing through rosters year over year and... And someone can correct me if I'm wrong, um, because obviously the the definition of what a camp roster is, you know, is a little bit hard to, you know, looking back through transactions, a little bit difficult to to look at. But um, but the last example of a guy that I think was signed on a non guaranteed deal for camp, who actually stuck around, was Josh Davis in 2005. So. 11 years ago and he lasted about three weeks three four weeks into the regular season before he was waived and i think he came back at some point later that year oh but, josh um, davis yeah yes yeah. long time yeah. bucks impact player so uh, merely mentioning that name uh probably uh, is, is a good example of why xavier henry and orlando johnson uh even if they survived are unlikely to have any impact in the grand scheme of things whatsoever um so i would say it is unlikely historically it is not something the bucks have done bringing guys to camp and having them uh giving them a chance to even win a roster spot uh i feel like every year there's maybe a guy from summer league or a guy uh in camp that people talk about is like oh maybe that guy you know could have a role i mean i think last year was marcus landry uh came in but chris copeland had a guaranteed contract and i think you could argue that marcus landry couldn't have been worse than chris copeland was (laughs) um but once you give a guy guaranteed money obviously there's a a pretty clear incentive financially to uh to stick with that guy and obviously that says something about uh, a team's interest in keeping him so yeah so i i am not uh i'm not bullish on on orlando johnson or Tavi Henry's future in Milwaukee. Although I guess the irony is that, you know, those guys probably from just a roster composition standpoint, ignore the, the, you know, leadership locker room stuff. I mean, those guys fill a more obvious role than, I don't know, Steve Novak, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would say I'm bullish on Xavier Henry, but I'm not bullish on his future with the Bucks. Like I, I just remembered that. Let's see. That's what 2010 draft, right? Yeah. 2010 draft, I was thinking, man, if Xavier Henry could follow the Bucks, that would just be so great. And I, I really thought his future is bright. Like, I, I loved the way he played basketball. And uh, he's had moments in the NBA, but uh, overall it's just been injuries that have just killed him. And and I do wonder what a, a injury-less Xavier Henry looks like. Um, I, he's just, he's – I just like the way he plays basketball and I do it's robbed him a little bit of his athleticism, but, um, he's very interesting. And like you said, I would 10 out of 10 times, if I have a, 
let's let's go back to earlier this summer. If I have a pickup game and I need to pick between Xavier Henry or Steve Novak, I'm taking Xavier Henry ten out of ten times. Like it's not even it's not even a discussion to me really. Um, so again, I think both those guys would fill out the roster better, but they're fighting an uphill battle against guaranteed contracts and just doesn't seem like something the Bucks would do to, to punt one of their guaranteed contracts to sign one of those two guys. Yeah. And especially, I mean, like you don't sign Steve Novak as like your veteran locker room guy, you know, potential, maybe every once in a while, play some minutes and be a stretch four, And then two weeks later, sign a guy to a camp deal and then eventually, you know, cut Steve Novak. Like that would be, very strange <laughs> to do that. It would. Uh, so it would be hard for me to see that. I think that maybe the one X factor would be, uh, and we know obviously that, that guys like Greg Monroe and maybe to a lesser extent, Michael Carter Williams could still be traded potentially. Yeah. So if you had some kind of trade where you had uh, two or more bucks being traded out and maybe one guy coming back, and you thus created a roster spot. That might be the one scenario where you might keep a guy like that. Um, so obviously, if you just sort of keep uh, uh, the same roster with the 15 guaranteed contracts, I don't think you know there's likely to have anything happen there. But um, certainly, if something happened um, around that, then you could see it. Although um, I think probably there's, if you were constructing sort of Greg Monroe trade ideas, I think you'd be more likely to see a two for one kind of the other way coming in rather than the Bucks sending out multiple guys for for one guy coming back to Milwaukee so um will be interesting to see but um probably you know for Greg, for Orlando Johnson and and Xavier Henry this is more of a chance for them to get some reps and you know I think pro- potentially especially early in preseason probably get some preseason minutes we've seen kind of random non-roster guys get preseason minutes in the past I think then later in preseason those guys tend to fall out of the rotation and usually they start getting waived kind of middle of the preseason so we'll see how long those guys last but it is interesting because certainly uh the Bucks wing rotation is kind of a you know it was the best of times it was the worst of times you've got <laughs> you know Chris Middleton Jabari Giannis it's like oh embarrassment of riches in terms of guys who can play small forward but at the same time, if you're starting all of them and they're obviously playing positions other than small forward, uh, it becomes a little bit more challenging from a staggering perspective. Um, it's not to say that when the Bucks are healthy, I would expect to see other guys playing really any type of um, major minutes at small forward. But uh, certainly when you look at the Bucks roster, I mean, I saw some reports when the Novak signing happened. Some people are like, oh, the Steve Novaks are backup small forward now it's like uh no you know like it's not going to be coming off the bench to get small forward minutes on a regular basis but if you were just constructing a depth chart you could obviously make an argument you could fall into the trap of saying you know especially if you view Giannis if you said oh Giannis is a point guard or if you say Giannis is a power forward and Jabari is a power forward uh you could easily say like oh wow there's like nobody at small forward right now but um, I think that'll be one of those interesting things for Jason Kidd to handle uh, this year, and certainly his ability to stagger those minutes is is going to be pretty important because you know again you don't want to end up with uh, you know Rashad Vaughn playing a lot of small forward minutes in in small lineups or something like that. All right, Frank, I lied. There's one last over under on a five star scale over under three and a half stars on this episode. <laughs> over, right? It's an easy over. I don't know what is our goal. St- what, have we ever had a five star episode? Have we maybe I mean like you could give Brett Coromenis a five star. I yep. don't know if, if we dragged him down to yeah. maybe four stars. Probably fair. Um 
Um, so I, the I one you know. talked about I, earlier with Jeremy, that's a five star episode. That's a five star pod. Okay, so by our our low standards, if you're grading on our curve, uh, <laughs> you know where there where, where you're grading for for daily bucks podcasts or almost daily bucks podcasts, where we're the only ones in town. Yeah. Um, then I guess we we have some good ones. Uh, I've I've called a lot of unders, so I, I'm tempted to do it again, but but I'll give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, Eric. Um, yeah. And, and we certainly don't want anybody to think that that they should give us anything less than five stars on iTunes, which we obviously greatly silly. appreciate. It. Yeah. So. All right. So that was it for over unders. I hope you've had a great time listening to this, and I hope, like Frank said, it was over three and a half stars. Um, but that was today's lockdown bucks, and it was brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets, and the promo code. L-O Bucks. Again, that's L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Gets you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. Again, that was Locked on Bucks. It's brought to you by BrewHoop.com. Thanks for listening. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.